Good morning, everyone. We need to add a little shelf here for our masks when we're up front. Sign of the times. I wanted to especially welcome and greet those of you who are watching by live stream. Just to wanted to let you know that we are very conscious of your presence with us. And uh, we think about you during the week and ways that we can be connecting uh, with you. So if you're watching by live stream and uh, want to be better connected, please just let us know in, in one way or another and we'd be happy to, uh, to reciprocate. I, uh, I had the benefit of watching my first live stream service here last week because I had this weird uh, lightheaded spell on Saturday that I wasn't sure what it was. Um, I didn't have shortness of breath and I didn't have a fever, so... Uh, but I, I wasn't sure what it was, so I thought, well, I didn't have a role in the service. I thought, well, this might be an opportunity for me to rest and just be sure uh, that I wasn't bringing anything here. And uh, so I got this, to worship along uh, by live stream, and I, I found it very meaningful because I knew the people involved, and I, but I was able to follow along. And so I'm really delighted that we were able to do this and to be able to worship together both here in the room and by live stream. So I want to bless what God's doing with all of you who are watching by live stream and who do so regularly um, because we know that I'm very... Uh, hopeful and aware of God's presence and God's work in these days, and maybe in some of our lives even more so because of the disruption that these days have represented to us or for us. I recently heard an interview with a woman named Susan Waldman, who I'd never heard of before. Uh, Susan Waldman turns out to be one of the first women to become a full-time sports broadcaster, and in this case for the New York Yankees baseball team. Uh, So maybe some of you have heard of her. But she was being interviewed by another sportscaster about her life, her life story, and he was asking her questions about how she uh, ended up where she is. And this interviewer told her that when he was younger, he wanted nothing more than to be um, an actor and a singer in live theater. Uh, He wanted to be an actor on Broadway to make his living that way. And then he told her that there were only two problems with that ambition— one is that he can't sing, and the other is that he can't dance. And so he had to find other things to do in terms of his, his vocation. Well, it turns out that Susan Waldman can sing, and she can dance, and she did have a successful career in musical theater. I think that's why he mentioned that to her. And in, in, in the interview, she said that that's all I ever wanted to do. All I ever wanted to do was to become like my heroes who were stars on Broadway, and that was my life's ambition. She went on to say later that she said, I always had work on Broadway, but I was never a star. And as I got older, I realized that wasn't in the works for me. I just wasn't going to ever become a star, partly because I, she began to realize that as she got older, the musicals, the style of musicals began to change, and the kinds of music, the kinds of things that actors and singers were expected to do began to change, and she realized that she was going to be fading in that arena. So she started looking for other opportunities, other things that she could focus, you know, give her time to and do uh, as her work. She noticed that there were almost no women in sports broadcasting, and so for some of us, that might be a, re- a reason not to go into it, but she thought that would be a place that I could stand out. I could offer something unique, and so she began to explore that, and um, in addition to the pushback she got, she said she was also very surprised by some of the opportunities that opened up for her, and at the end of the interview, she said something interesting. She said, um, don't aspire to be someone else like I did. I think she was aspiring to be like a star on Broadway. She said, don't, don't aspire to be a different, another person. Aspire to be the first you. And I think what she meant was, think about what you're good at and what you enjoy doing and figure out how to contribute that in a way that, that moves things forward or that touches other people. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories of uh, people who passionately wanted to be or do one thing when they were a child, 
and then ended up becoming successful or well-known later on for something else, for being or doing something else. And they didn't discover what that something else was until they had tried different kinds of work, until they had explored other kinds of interests and found that, oh, well, I actually enjoy this more or I'm actually better at this than I was at that first thing that I was hoping for. Many times they're surprised by the turns that their lives took because they ended up doing something different than what they thought they might do. It reminds me of of characters in the Bible who um, were ordinary people with ordinary hopes and ordinary dreams, but then God showed up and said, hey, I want you to do something else. And it completely changed their mindset, completely changed their prospects and their future. The challenge was that in most cases, the folks that he called, the folks he called weren't really qualified for the assignments or didn't see themselves as qualified for the assignments that God had for them. For example, think about Moses. If you know his call story, you know that when God first came to him, he said, not me. You may call him, leave me alone, Moses. He said, I'm not eloquent. My brother is far more eloquent than I am. He, he would be a much better choice. Why don't you go talk to Aaron? And God said, no, I want you to do this. Or what about um, Gideon? Not me, Gideon. You know, when, when the angel first came to him, he was hiding. He was a farmer. And what, the first thing he said when the angel appeared to him was, I'm the least important person in my whole family. Why, why would you talk to me? In fact, my family is the least important family in our whole clan. Why, you, not me. I'm, I'm not the right person. Or what about David? <clears throat> David was the youngest of eight sons. He had seven older brothers. And he was just the errand boy, the shepherd boy, the errand boy in his family. And he was kind of overlooked enough that when Samuel came to uh, David's father, Jesse, and said, I want to I want to review your son. I want to see your sons. I want to meet them because God has a special blessing for one of them. David wasn't even included in the group that Jesse paraded before Samuel. He, he went through all seven of his older brothers and he finally, you know, Samuel's prompting from the Lord was saying, no, no, he's still not, it's still none of these. And so then, oh, by the way, they had to go pull David out of the field for God's assignment and God's call on him. God does use gifted people, and I don't want to say that, I mean, God gives us the gifts and abilities that He does so that we can use them. So He does use gifted people, but He often prefers to work with ordinary people, ordinary people who doubt their own abilities and who know that they're not amazing. And the reason that God gives Gideon for this is that He says, I, I, I want, I'm calling an ordinary person because I don't want you to be mistaken about what happens, about who who makes the next thing happen? This amazing thing I'm going to be about to do, I don't want you to have any confusion, every, any illusions that you brought this about because you were clever or because you were amazing or because, you were in, because of your own ingenuity or your own strength. And if you know Gideon's story, you know God sent away almost all the men that joined him for precisely that reason. God wanted it to be clear that it was his power and his work that was bringing these things about. Joseph and Mary are these kinds of characters in the Christmas story, in the story of the birth of Jesus. They lived in a really small town that was way up north in, uh, in Israel at the time. Scholars think that there probably weren't more than about 200 people who lived in Nazareth at the time. <clears throat> they were small town people. They were laborers. We think, they were <clears throat> we think they were probably poor. And the reason we think that is that when Jesus was dedicated at the temple as a firstborn son... They gave the offering allowed for poor people. In the law, it said that a firstborn son had to be redeemed or dedicated 
uh, along with part of the process was sacrificing a lamb. A lamb needed to be sacrificed to redeem the life of a firstborn son. But if the family couldn't afford to give a lamb, then they were allowed to give two doves or two pigeons. And in Luke's account, it says that that was the offering that Mary and Joseph brought. So we think that they probably were a relatively poor family. Well, as Pastor Jeremy said, this Christmas, we're looking at the Christmas story through the eyes or perspectives of six different characters or six different sets of characters. We're calling it Get the Whole Story and asking in each of these sermons, what did the birth of Jesus mean or what did it look like through the lens or the perspective of each of these people? How did they understand what it meant for Jesus to be born as a human being? So two weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah's perspective. Last week, we talked about Joseph's perspective. And today, we look at Mary's perspective. You know, the Christmas story reminds us again of God's, it's just another example of God's active and loving presence in the world, of God's tending to human history from start to finish across the centuries. The birth of Jesus is one of the moments where the the work of God or the hand of God intervenes in a very specific way, a very clear way, and we see the connection between heaven and earth very clearly. But it also, if you know the story of the Bible, you know that there are are long periods of time where it seems like God is, is, uh, some people say God is silent or God is not as active. Um, It seems that way to the people at the time where God's work is not as obvious and then interrupted by times where God breaks through in dramatic ways. The story of the birth of Jesus comes about after about 400 years where there are no fresh prophetic words for the people of God. So there's this 400-year period where people think of God as, as rather silent and then Jesus is born That's the context in which this story happens. But I think one of the points of these these stories in the Bible is that um, God's call to his people is still the same, whether God is obviously present and active or not. Whether it's a season where God is really doing dramatic things or where it seems like God is is far away, even though he's not, he seems far away because it's not as his actions aren't as dramatic. But I think his, his call on his people throughout that period of time is, is the same, is to remember what he said, to remember what he did, and to remember what he promised up through the last time they heard very specific words from God, to, to remember and to hold on to who God is based on what God has said, what God has done, and what God has promised, and to trust him and to re- faithfully obey him until they get more specific instructions or until God intervenes again in a very specific and dramatic way. So that's the background to the text that uh, Stephanie read for us this morning from Luke 1 where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and makes this astonishing announcement. It's part of God's stirring and, and things are happening. He's already appeared to, the angel has appeared to Zechariah and now he's appearing to Mary. Mary is an ordinary young girl. She's engaged to be married And she's about to play a key role in what happens next. And so God sends the angel Gabriel to her to prepare her, but also to warn her that her life is never going to be the same, to disrupt her lives or to disrupt her plans for an ordinary life. I'm not sure. It doesn't really tell us a lot about her reactions other than to say she was greatly troubled by the angel's words. And she wondered how this was going to happen. I think she had some sense that this was going to change things for her. 
It makes me think of our own circumstance right now where without a lot of forewarning, with only a little, we had some forewarning, but without a lot, we, our lives have been disrupted. And we don't have all the information we'd like to about what it means or what, what the aftermath is going to be, how it's going to play out. One of the things that's always interesting to me about <clears throat> appearances, uh, God's Word to people in the Scriptures is that they are always true, but they often give people the big picture and they don't give a lot of details. I think that's true in, in this story. This is another example where the angel, what he says to her is completely true, but he doesn't really give her a lot of details. He only gives her enough information to take the next one or two steps of obedience. That's really all she has in the beginning. <clears throat> he tells her what she needs to know for now, he te- in, what she needs to know enough for her to obey, even though she can't possibly know all of what's to come. Some of you are familiar with, and probably one of your favorite Christmas songs maybe is Mark Lowry's song from a few years ago, Mary, Did You Know? And he goes through a whole list of things wondering, Mary, did you know about this? Did you know about this? Did you know all these things are going to happen? And it's a, it's a wonderful meditative song for us, but clearly the answer is no. There's no way Mary could have known or foreseen all of those things that were about to happen in her life and in the life of her son. It does say that she was, um, <clears throat> verse 29 says that she was greatly troubled at, her, at his words. I looked up the, the Greek word behind that and it means simply confused or perplexed, just puzzled, like what, what is he saying to me? And then it says she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It means she reasoned, she pondered, she was sort of trying to figure out what this might mean. I think it's very interesting in this account in Luke 1 that all we have about Mary is three, we have just three simple things. We have a brief description of how, of how she was feeling. It says she was greatly troubled and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She asked one simple question, um, how will this be since I am a virgin? And then she makes a simple statement after the angel replies. She says, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. Maybe they talked a little bit longer, I don't know, but this is what we have. And as I read this and as I think about it, I, it reminds me of times, I mean, I've never had an angel visit me, but I've had weird things happen or un, unexpected things happen to me. And when they're brief like this, pretty quickly I think, did that really just happen? And the next day I think, I think that happened. Did that really just happen? And I wonder if, Mary, if it was like that for Mary, to think he was just there so briefly and then was gone and I'm guessing she had other questions she w- wish she would have thought to ask him after he was gone. Like, um, I mean, wouldn't you have a lot more questions? Things like, um, what should I tell Joseph or my parents? Do you have any guidance for me about <laughs> what I'm going to say to my, my husband, my betrothed, or to my parents? Or are you going to talk, are you going to also let them know about this so that, you know, they know what's going on here, this unusual situation? And, or maybe, what, what time frame are we talking about here? I mean, sometimes God appears and announces things that don't happen for a long time. They do happen, but it takes much longer for it to come about than what people expect. Now, maybe she had a little bit of a hint because he said, your, your cousin Elizabeth is already pregnant, so maybe there was a, a sense of immediacy there that she had some sense this was about to be. She did, I think, understood, understand that he was talking about something happening before she was married to Joseph or fully married to him, because she asks about how this is going to happen because I'm a virgin. But I wonder if she didn't think that maybe this would flow naturally out of being married. 
out of, that maybe the announcement was more like, your firstborn son is going to be a great man in Israel. God's going to do great things through your firstborn son. That the Holy Spirit would bless him in a particular way. I mean, after all, there are other women in the Bible who received those kind of words, like Hannah, when her son uh, uh, Samuel was, was born. If you go back there and read the story in 1 Samuel, she cried out to God. She said, I'll, I'll give my firstborn son to you, but just please let me have a son. And the angel says, I'm going to grant, God has granted your wish. He has, you found favor in God's sight and your son will be a, a, an important person in Israel. Or, or the mother of Samson, we don't have her name, but an angel came to her and told her that her firstborn son was going to be a, a, a special person and God was going to work through him in a particular way. I'm guessing Mary knew those stories and thought, well, maybe I'm going to join that, that list. But whatever she thought, whatever she understood, in the end, she said, I'm the Lord's servant. In the NIV, it says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Or more literally, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. May it be to me according to your word. What a, what a beautiful statement of surrender to God's call. Not really able to fully anticipate all the implications of what she was saying. Basically what she was saying, I think maybe we would say, okay, okay, I'm willing to have happen to me what you describe, what you're calling me to. As Mary reappears in the Gospels throughout the story of Jesus as it unfolds in the Gospels, we learn that she continued to ponder. She continued to try to understand, to try to make sense of God's call on her life, to make sense of God's call on the life of her son. But even when she didn't really understand, she continued to trust, she continued to follow or to faithfully obey and to stay right by her son's side, even when all kinds of unusual things began to happen in his life. She continued to embrace God's call in her life even when she didn't fully understand it. Later in chapter 2 of Luke, we have the story of Joseph and Mary taking Jesus to the temple for his dedication. The law specified that at 33 days, a firstborn son needed to be dedicated or consecrated to the Lord. And later in Luke 2, it says that when they got to the temple, the prophet Simeon was there. And that Simeon came over and again made some uh, glorious prophecies about this young child. And it says in Luke 2, the, the child's father and mother marveled at what Simeon said about their son. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So this is about a month later, a, a month after Jesus is born. <clears throat> Mary is, gets a little bit more information here, but it's not very specific, is it? The rising and falling of many in Israel, maybe she could, you could guess at some of what that means, a sign that will be spoken against, and a sword will pierce your own soul. I think this is the first time we have a hint, a hint of what uh, something that's said to her that, 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 says, that suggests there's going to be some pain for her, that it's not all going to be glorious and amazing. <clears throat> they went back to Nazareth. Jesus continued to grow and become strong. When he was 12 years old, he joined his parents on their annual pilgrimage to the temple, to, to Jerusalem for Passover. And this is the story where, um, if you remember, he was 12 years old and ended up in the temple arguing, discussing with the, the priests and the scribes 
the, uh, the teachers of the law. His parents left to go back to Nazareth with their family clan, their cluster. They were headed back to Nazareth, and then they discovered Jesus wasn't with the group. So they headed back to find him, and they found him in the temple. And he says to them at 12 years old, he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? <clears throat> verse, 50, <clears throat> verse 50 is amazing to me. Luke 20, verse 50 says, but they, Mary and Joseph, did not understand what he was saying to them. They did not understand what he was saying to them. I, I just think it's amazing. You know, as a parent, your 12-year-old son is, you know, you, you want to scold him, you want to correct him, <clears throat> and then he says something. I mean, you know, you know there's something special about this young man, but then it says, they did not understand what he was saying to them. <clears throat> but he went back to Nazareth with them, was obedient to them, but his mother, it says, treasured all these things in her heart. His mother treasured these things. The Greek word there literally means kept. His mother kept or held on to. His mother held these things in her heart, continued to ponder the pieces, the bits and pieces that she had learned to understand what they might mean. And then it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature <clears throat> and in favor with God and man. So 12 years later, Mary does get a little bit more information but she adds that to the treasure store of information she has as she continues to ponder and sort through exactly who this young man is and what it might mean. You know, I think Catholics, in my own view, Catholics make a little too much of Mary. Sometimes the way I've heard Catholics talk about her, they almost t treat her like she's the fourth person <clears throat> of the Trinity. Well, it wouldn't be a Trinity, it would be a quadrinity or whatever it is. <clears throat> not sure what the right word is there, but Sometimes I feel like she's almost elevated to the fourth person of the Godhead. On the other hand, though, I think Protestants, we often make a too little of Mary. I think Mary sometimes in many of our minds is just a character who shows up in the Christmas story briefly, and then she has her place, and then she, we, she just goes away again for another year. We don't really think about her much anymore. But, you know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was an amazing pioneer and a hero of our faith. Some people think of her as the first disciple. Thank you. Some people, I've heard some people refer to her as the first disciple because she was the first one to say, may it be to me according to your word. But she almost immediately embraced God's call in her life with very little information as far as we know, embraced her role in the story of Jesus. And she stood by Jesus at every turn from, his, from her pregnancy through his birth until his ascension. <clears throat> we have, I told you a little bit about her pregnancy. We have the announcement uh, from Gabriel. I told you a little bit about the visit to the temple. We know the birth story. There was a 30-year period of time, we think, about 30 years between his birth and the beginning of his public ministry where she was with him at home and he lived as a fairly, fairly ordinary person in Nazareth. Mary is tracking with him all of this time, treasuring these things, keeping these things in her heart, wondering exactly what was in store for her son. We think that Mary was probably widowed by the time Jesus started his public ministry because uh, Joseph is not mentioned again after the birth accounts. Mary is mentioned again, uh, his brothers are mentioned, his sisters are mentioned, but there's no mention of Joseph after, I think it's Luke uh, 2, I think it is, the birth accounts of Jesus. So she would have endured widowhood probably during that period of time. And then when he was 30, we have the announcement he made recorded in Luke 4 where he announced the beginning of his ministry in the synagogue in Nazareth. 
by quoting from Isaiah 61 and saying, today this prophecy is being fulfilled in your hearing, and clearly they understood meaning through me. I am the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies. And if you know that story, you know that the people were just outraged. They thought, this is craziness. This ordinary boy who grew, we knew this guy, this guy when he was a little boy. He's been an ordinary person in our town for 30 years, and now he stands up and says, I'm fulfilling this prophecy? What kind of nonsense is that? And yet Mary was there with him at his side. In, I mean, Nazareth was a small town, as I've said to you. I don't know that Mary's mentioned again through much of Jesus' ministry other than the time where she and his brothers come to kind of see if he will wake up and get some sleep and eat some food, and he's kind of, he kind of rebuffs them and says, who are my mother and my brothers? You are my mother and brothers if you're following me, if you're tracking with my teaching. But she's there with him at the cross. In the book of John, it says that she's at the foot of the cross while her son is hanging there, publicly disgraced, his life ebbing from him, and along with everyone else, probably wondering, how does this fit with those glorious prophecies that Gabriel brought to me, some of which we sang about this morning? But she was there. In Acts 1, it says that she was in the upper room with his disciples who gathered after uh, the ascension of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there as part of that group of, I think it was about 100, 120 disciples who gathered. Mary was with them after the ascension. So she was, and that was the group of people who were there on the day of Pentecost. Mary was probably part of that group, although she's not specifically mentioned or named. And scholars think that Mary was probably a primary source for Luke as he was compiling his gospel, because we have a lot more information about Mary and her thoughts and her journey in the book of Luke than we do in any of the other gospels. The information about uh, his mother keeping these things, storing them in her heart, about not understanding what was said at different parts of the journey. You know, last week we heard about Joseph, and we said that Joseph's character points us to Jesus, and the way Marshall said it was, um, Joseph was a type for Jesus in the way that he handled truth and tenderness, the way he balanced truth and tenderness. We saw that in Joseph and as a, as a sign of what was to come in even more full, fully blown way in the life of Jesus. I think this week we can see that Mary's character also points us to Jesus. I think Mary is also a type for Jesus for us in her embrace of God's call in her life, even at great cost to herself, and even when she didn't understand all of what it, what it was going to mean. Mary didn't hold on to her own expectations for her life. I'm sure she had expectations for an ordinary life, an ordinary marriage, a quiet life in Nazareth. But she didn't hold on to those expectations. She surrendered them to God's call. And we see that played out in even in a more glorious and complete way in Jesus' life as someone who had even more to hold on to. But Paul tells us in Philippians 2, he didn't hold on to his own ambitions. He didn't hold on to his own privileges. He surrendered his life to God's call and to God's purposes. And his life obviously never lived, it had nothing to do with the expectations that ordinary people would have had at his time. But just as her son did, Mary embraced God's call on her life. She embraced the humility it required. She embraced the pain, the confusion, the uncertainty, and the disruption that it brought into her life. She did continue to ponder, to continue to sort through what was happening 
And at each step again, though, she clearly embraced God's call in her life. She stood with Jesus and walked with Him on the journey that He walked. She stuck it out, continued to trust in God's character, God's promises to her, God's promises to His people, and was there to see how it would unfold. So in one way or another throughout her life, I think we can say that Mary said again and again, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Well, friends, I want to suggest to you this morning, I think God's call to you and to me is to follow that pattern, the the pattern provided for us in Jesus and in the characters who point to him. The call is to embrace his call on our lives in the ways that they embrace God's call on their lives. But you might say, well, what is that call? One of the things that we wrestle with is, what is that call? Well, I think whatever else, whatever specific calls we may have, all of us are called to do the things I mentioned earlier. We're all called to remember what God has said, to remember what God has done, and to remember what God has promised, and to trust Him, and to faithfully obey Him until we have some other specific instruction or guidance from him. For us, it's mostly looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, which I was delighted to hear us point to this morning in the singing that we did. We were looking forward. You and I are looking forward now to a coming of Jesus in much the way the characters in the the Christmas story were looking forward to the first coming of the Messiah. Much of this remembering, much of this rehearsing, much of this waiting, trusting, and obeying happens in ordinary life. It happens in the course of our lives as we uh, go to school and come home, as we go to work and come home, as we gather with other people and as we come home again, as we come and go in our ordinary lives, do our work, as we provide for our families, as we build up our communities, as we tell our neighbors about the hope we found in Jesus and the way He's changed our lives. A lot of this remembering of who God is because of what God has said, what God has done, and what God has promised is what we rehearse and what keeps us on track in following Him. And I want to suggest to you that for, for all of us, this is most of what God's call is on our lives, is faithfulness in ordinary life, faithfulness in ordinary living. And there may be times where God has specific uh, instructions for us or a specific call to us to, to a specific work situation, a specific living situation, um, or other kind of specific guidance. But for most people, the broad call of God is, is as I've described. Some of us, I think, are so eager for specific guidance on details that we lose track of our faithfulness to the broader guidance that God has called that's most of the call that God has on all of us. Embracing God's call, even in ordinary life, will mean that sometimes we'll be asked to do things that seem beyond our abilities, beyond our, our capacity and some, you know, sometimes we, we want God to call us to do some big, amazing thing. And what God's looking for is faithfulness in small things, like being able to speak the truth when that's not popular or when it's inconvenient, or to be kind when everyone else around us is being unkind, or to be gracious when everyone else around us is being ungracious. Calls to, and we feel like, I just can't do it. I can't stand out. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be different, or I can't do it. Or maybe it's being called to uh, live up to a standard that you feel is beyond your abilities. I can't, I can't live up to that standard. I can't manage to live up to that standard in my own strength. Whether it's in terms of 
uh, being faithful in my sec- handling my sexuality or handling my money or, or handling the truth, being honest, all of those things. I feel like I can't live up to that standard or that standard isn't popular anymore. God will give you the ability to do that. We rely on God's strength. Or maybe it's that the plan for your life has been or will be disrupted. That the way you thought your life was going to work out, the ambitions you had for yourself aren't flowing in that direction. And you're tempted to let go of God's call in your life or to turn away from Him. But His call is to, remind, is to remember who He is, what He said, what He's done, and how faithful He's been in the past. And to continue to trust and to faithfully obey Him. And I feel like God's word to us this morning from the story of Mary is an invitation to be among those who faithfully respond in each moment of our lives. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. That might be a phrase to memorize and to to, uh, incorporate into your prayers this week. The prayers of surrender and devotion to the Lord. Lord, we are your servants. We are your servants. May it be to us according to your word. 